You're listening to the Enneagram and Marriage Podcast. I'm your host, Krista Harden, and I'm so glad you showed up for our relationship chat today, as well as for you and your people. We're all about living intentionally here so you can experience joy and balance in your relationships once again or for the very first time. Be sure you hang with us on our social media platforms. And if you like research like I do, make sure you check out our website at enneagramandmarriage.com for our weekly newsletter, freebies, and so much more, as well as at Instagram and Facebook. We have so many goodies to share with you. Let's dive right in together. I'm so grateful you joined us for another episode of the ENM Pod today. We are so grateful to have Scott Allender with us today. It is such a good time to learn with you all as we make this bridge from spiritual to goal getting. This is the perfect episode to marry the two. Also, Scott has the ideals with us of climbing higher and higher, but brings the pragmatism of a three to give us actual tangible steps to get there. So I couldn't be more grateful for that with you as we get to explore his brand new book from Baker Books out this week. We are just so grateful to be right on time for that with you so that you can grab it. It's a pre-order today, but tomorrow it's actually out and it's in the show notes. So if you're listening later, it's already out and we're just so grateful we get to talk to him. Before Scott comes on, couple quick announcements. First of all, I'll give you more family announcements, which I haven't done in forever this Wednesday. And that's because family has been emotional and I've had to take my time slowly with that. Lots of cool things, lots of big things. And we'll talk about that soon, but just a lot of graduations, endings, new beginnings, journeys, tears, you know, all the good stuff. So Wes and I will chat about that with you on Wednesday. But also just if you're in that marriage struggle space through tomorrow night, our E&M collective doors are open. We open them a few times a year just to welcome in anybody who needs that extra space to heal, to grow, to be challenged and to hang on for dear life sometimes too, right? So anyway, we're here for it all with you. And what I love about Scott as he comes on is not only is he an expert in emotional intelligence, but he truly has scholars backing him. He has done his work, his research with B. Chestnut's group. He has also really taken time to get to know Ian Cron, Don Miller, who have both uh, promoted this book. And Scott just comes in with, I can see exactly why, such a, a wide variety of Enneagram concepts. And you don't have to find them in many different pockets. It's a book that's going to be available in airports and everywhere. So we're just so grateful that Scott is part of the movement of bringing the Enneagram tools and teachings out to a wider audience. So I know you're geeking out with me on that. And let's welcome Scott so we can ask him all kinds of questions. Scott, thank you so much for joining us on the Enneagram and Marriage Podcast. Thank you for having me. It's an honor to be here. Oh, we are so grateful you have a new book out. Our audience is going to get to hear about your three for marriage and emotional intelligence today. So I hope you guys are ready. Can you tell us a little bit about yourself? I'm a leadership development practitioner and work with individuals and teams for years now in, in that space and in, in awareness and emotional intelligence and effectiveness. I'm a father of two. I've got uh, two daughters, uh, 10 and 12, been mm-hmm. married for nearly 14 years, mm-hmm. um, even have uh, I've got two dogs. They are also female, so I'm very outnumbered in the house. Wow, but it's so much fun, right? Yeah, it's 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 a blast. They're they're very very pre preteen right now. Very much in that phase. It seems oh, yeah. Yes. But it's it's a it's a joy. They're they're the light of my life. Oh my gosh, yeah. amazing. Yeah, and so yeah, I um, what else can I tell you about myself? So we're we're from uh, my wife and I met in Long Beach, California, a number of years ago. We met actually on my birthday. 
Wow. So, yeah. So she was, I had a, one of my best friends, I was roommates with him at the time and I had gotten back from a trip and he told me that he met this girl through mutual friends and he was kind of interested in her, but didn't know when they're going to reconnect. And so my birthday was rolling around and our common friends were going to throw me, well, host a dinner at a restaurant for me for my birthday. And they called me up and said, do you mind if we invite this girl, Kristen, that we can try to see if we can create something between her and your roommate, Ashley. I'm like, yeah, that's fine. Come on, bring her. So I showed up at the restaurant and, you know, so my introduction to her was, you know, she's like, hi, my name is Kristen. Happy birthday. And I did kind of, you know, during dinner, sneak a a few glances her way, but I'm like, nope, nope. That's for my friend, Ashley. Like he's trying to make something happen. And and, uh, so he did ask her out and they went out on one date. It didn't work. And then Mm -hmm. I said, well, you know, maybe I could, you know, hang out with her. I should at least get to know her a little bit. What do you think? So I actually stalked her on MySpace. This is oh by the way gosh. too much information. MySpace, no, for anybody that's that. listening <laughs> that doesn't know what MySpace is, before <laughs> Facebook and before Instagram, it was MySpace. And so, mm-hmm. and on MySpace, you had all these sort of, you know, uh, your interest and your favorite music and all the things. And so it was like right out there for the, for the taking. And so I oh. read up on her subtly and then oh she swears that she didn't know that was a date, but uh, the rest is history. So Oh my gosh, that is literally so romantic. And as a four, she probably felt so known in that moment, just so understood and seen. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I didn't tell her until sometime later that, you know, I kind of engineered it a little bit, but (laughs) but, um, as a three, I'm very practical that way. I try to like, how do I get to the the end goal? We didn't have that language at the time, but um, but yeah, completely, completely. Oh, Oh my gosh. And What's something you would tell us about the three, four marriage? If you could just say like, here's what it's like for two heart types or something we've noticed about our dynamic together, anything like that, that feels like it would be fun for our audience to hear or interesting. Yeah. Um, I don't know if it's interesting, but I'll tell you what it's like. There's a, it's a lot of emotion in the house. Um, Mm -hmm. Now as a three, it's usually assumed, you know, and rightfully so that threes are, you know, kind of repress their own emotions to be able to uh, achieve goals and tasks and things like that. But threes are right at the center of that heart triad. So we have a lot of feeling connectivity. We use a lot of feeling words. And as a four, she's got the most access to emotions than any other type. So it's yeah. a lot around yeah. connecting and feeling connected. And do I feel connected to you? And do you feel connected to me? And so when that's not working well, um, mm. it can it can set things up there could be more, I think, of a temptation to have a personalized, dejected response yeah. when we're not feeling connected, right? It doesn't mm-hmm. mean anything's actually objectively happened or there's any wow. problem, but there's just maybe a lack of that heart-to-heart connection. And so mm-hmm. when, uh, you know, the, 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 the real upside of it, though, is that we both kind of covet the same type of connection. And so when we're able to meet each other there, it's really beautiful. Yeah. Oh, that is beautiful. And really reminds me of a three, four couple we had on who talked about how similarly they were really noticing that they were seeking attention. And obviously we know being heart types, sometimes there's a history of, you know, like see me and love me just the way I am. And so I hear you when you're both kind of seeking that, but not sure where the other one's at, even if there's no problem, it's like, you want to know the other one has your heart, right? Yes. And then when life gets really crazy and busy and just naturally you don't have the time to make that connection, it can feel more problematic, I think, for heart type mm-hmm. than maybe a head type or a body type who would just get mm-hmm. probably just more back into it and just like make a plan to come back together and 
not yeah. feel that way. So it's, a, it's, but we're aware of that now. And, and we've been aware of that for quite some time. And I think um, it's significantly helped us to, to know that, you know, in some ways I'm acting out of my own sort of ego structure and I'm, and I'm trying to have this relationship compensate for what I might be needing to do. That's completely separate from the relationship, which might just be some other kind of identifying some stories I'm carrying or some kind of, you know, what's going on, what's going on in my personality structure that I need to tend to, that's not for you to, to fix for me. Mm, that is awesome. And you are really on point for today's episode too, because you guys are heart types. So you're going to help us. Like you said, the rest of us are, this is not the familiar waters you're swimming in. So we're telling other kinds of stories. And when we need heart type connection, sometimes we're literally in outer space. <laughs> so this is going to be such a gift to us. Thank you. And thank you for sharing vulnerably about your marriage to Kristen. Also, that's awesome. Okay. So tell us about your book. I have been able to read it. Our audience hopefully soon will be able to read it. Tell us about just where it came from and what got you interested in writing about emotional intelligence and Enneagram. So I've been emotional, an emotional intelligence coach for a number of years, got certified several years ago. I've worked with, you know, many different psychometric tools as part of that, but there's a, a profiling system I use primarily. Mm -hmm. And the real energy behind that for me is to try to help people become more self-aware because for all, you know, there's so much research out there that talks about how awareness is, you know, the cornerstone of emotional intelligence and emotional intelligence is the cornerstone of success, right? So whether it's personal or professional success and well-being, really is predicated on our emotional intelligence. Yet so much of the research that's been revealed shows for all that we now know about the importance of emotional intelligence, it's sorely lacking in our world. Mm -hmm. And awareness itself, there was a study that was published in a book called Insight a few years back, massive study revealed that only 13 to 15% of people are actually self-aware. Wow. My and like, for all this work and for all this knowledge, what's happening? Why aren't we getting there, right? Mm -hmm. And having gone through uh, my own sort of journey with the Enneagram and getting, um, certified through CP Enneagram Academy to teach and coach with the system, mm -hmm. I really wanted to kind of bring together the two things because there's a, there's so much that the Enneagram reveals to us that emotional intelligence systems and structures tend to lack. Mm -hmm. So for example, most systems I work with or conversations I have in emotional intelligence when it's just strictly in that space kind of tend to circumvent the emotional experience themselves and bypass it for very rational models of behavioral change. So we identify some things that we need to turn up in our lives or some things we maybe need to dial down. And then we apply all sorts of willpower and try to do it, but we don't know why we're doing those things or not doing those things to begin with, right? The awareness itself is still lacking. I don't understand why I Mm. you know, I'm lacking in optimism or I'm lacking in my self-regard in some way. I don't, I don't have this relationship working out the way that I want to. Mm -hmm. So the Enneagram brings it into light because it helps us to make the unconscious conscious. Mm -hmm. And the, the, the approach that I think for people that, you know, may hear this, that I, I know it's an Enneagram podcast, but mm -hmm. maybe they don't have a deep familiarity with the Enneagram. Mm -hmm. Um, really focus on is the intelligence centers, the, the heart center. Yes. Cause it's emotions, but also the body and the head. Mm. 
mm-hmm. because so awareness lives at the intersection of physical intelligence, mental intelligence, and emotional intelligence. What I mean about that is so much of um, what we think and we feel throughout the day actually starts with physical sensations coming to us from a process called interoception. This might be getting way too. No, we love this. And we've talked a little bit about it. Yep. Okay, great. So um, we tend to, I think, maybe be dismissive of gut center intelligence, but that's all wrong because so much starts in the body. The body often knows things that the mind and the heart don't yet know. And there's a growing body of neuroscience that's focused on interoception and how all that works. Mm-hmm. And it, it helps to influence emotion and, um, and our thinking and our belief systems and everything. So the book t- looks at all three of these centers and says, how do we create awareness? How do I become more tuned into my body? What's really happening? How do I get more connected to my emotions and what they're telling me and actually feel them? And then mm-hmm. how do I start to, um, think about how I'm thinking. So it's the intersection of all three of those. And that was really the passion of why I wrote the book. Oh, that's awesome. And we love CP Enneagram here. You've been, you know, gifted with B. Chestnut, Uranio Pias with uh, their brilliance. And it's just beautiful that you've brought it into this practical space for us with your self-pres three. Uh, And I know you guys are hardworking and yet you bring the humility in as well of just wow, this is like, probably as you've been learning this, you're like, I need to share this with others. Yeah, there's nothing for all that I've, you know, pursued. I've gotten certifications in Myers-Briggs and Hogan and other things. Obviously nothing has been nearly as personally transformative as this Enneagram journey mm-hmm. for me. Mm, I am yeah. so glad. Well, tell us what the concept of, and I, and you kind of did already, but let me know if there's more to tell us about the concept of emotional intelligence and the EQ. And, and we just are open to that, but you're already starting us with this, you know, reminder that it's both the head, it's the head, the heart and the body. There's lots of different adjectives people use to describe what is emotional intelligence. And I think they all are valid. Um, I look at, at it with a lens of um, self um, perception. How do I, how, how is it that I'm thinking and feeling about myself? Um, self-expression, my self-perception directly leads to my sort of habit of attention and how I tend to express myself. Mm-hmm. These things um, influence my interpersonal relationships, which is the third component. And then I look at decision-making and stress. And so I look at all five of those um, in the book through the lens of each Enneagram type, wow. constantly trying to come back into focus on the body and the mind and the heart. Oh, that's neat. So you're looking at, and can you repeat those five for us? Just so we have strong sense for those. Yeah, of course. It's uh, self-perception, self-expression, interpersonal relationships, decision-making, and stress management. Wow. So you take all those through each Enneagram type and tell us what each one is walking through. Well, so I talk about... um, them as concepts and why they're important part of emotional intelligence and our general well-being, mm-hmm. um, which I want to come back to the well-being piece in just a moment. And then I look at each Enneagram type in when it, when we're in the highest, healthiest state mm-hmm. connected essentially to our virtue of our type and what 
each type kind of looks like and might struggle with when we're in the emotional vice of the type or the passion or the not so healthy state. Mm -hmm. And then I give some strategies for how do we uh, transcend the, the vice and return more to the virtue, essentially the healthiest, highest expression of who we are. But I'm glad, but something else I did forget to mention on the emotional intelligence um, conversation. And I don't want to give away all of it, right? But essentially what else is missing, and I know this is really tough to talk about in organizational context, but as a marriage podcast, this is much easier, mm-hmm. is that emotional intelligence is inextricably linked with our emotional health. Mm. So much of, I think, what's what's going on in a world where we're analyzing emotional intelligence more and understanding its importance and striving to have it, but yet failing much of the time, is we're not having the conversation around what are the wounds and the fears and the um, just the messages and beliefs that I internalized as a young person that's influencing how I see the world, yeah. right? It's, it's anybody who sets on a journey of healing mm-hmm. and recovering these sort of parts of ourselves that we put away when we kind of put on the mask of our Enneagram type, mm-hmm. people that are on that road don't need to overtly focus on developing these emotional intelligence capabilities, they sort of naturally follow, right? So much of what the book will point to is how do we recover and heal the parts of ourselves that are distorting our vision, distorting our ability to connect with uh, my bodily sensations or um, provoking in me a lot of uh, repetitive conditioned emotions that are really just products of my type and not actual new information Mm. or getting me stuck in thinking certain ways because I'm stuck to certain narratives that my type tells me is true, even though it may not be true. Mm. So it's looking at all five of these components. It's looking at all three of, you know, the body, the head and the heart. Mm -hmm. And it's taking us on a journey, hopefully towards recovering some of our, um, our, our lost parts of ourselves. Wow. That's really helpful to hear as a synopsis. And I can say, having read it, that I really felt that through your book, because I noticed that uh, a lot of Enneagram books do a beautiful job of explaining what the system is and what the types are. But I also enjoy the deeper dive here with you because it really gets into the healing. And like you said, the understanding and uh, also the rhythms. So tell us what are some of the rhythms, even though we really know you're going to need a deep dive in the book for this, but what are a few rhythms that you like to encourage people to get moving in so that they can start really regularly addressing some of this that, that we hope they do. You know, for, to start with, I, I do think we need to procure knowledge of our type. Mm -hmm. There is no coming to awareness without knowledge. We can't be aware of something we don't know, right? So we have to, we do have to, to, to get more knowledge about our type potentially, and then practice um, ongoing self-reflection. I know that sounds really, you know, like a platitude potentially, but, but really stopping and reflecting on moments um, that uh, of, of maybe what was a difficult interaction with somebody or an emotion that sprung up for you during the day that maybe you denied or repressed or didn't, didn't fully understand um, so that you can start creating some distance between stimulus and response. That's, that's a good starting place. As far as connecting the, the head, the heart and the body, 
mindfulness is incredibly important, I think, for all types. Mm -hmm. um, you know, there, there are some very type-specific things that need to happen, and we could go through all nine types, but um, common to all types, uh, mindfulness practice is super important. Mm -hmm. um, body scans, and as part of that, um, you know, so much of what improves our interoceptive uh, sensitivity to find, you know, to be able to understand what our bodies are telling us is um, something called a body scan where you literally, you know, sit in a chair with your eyes closed, you'd be laying in bed or what have you, and you, you know, start directing energy at the top of your head and mm -hmm. just pay attention to what sensations are going on there. And then slowly, you know, travel down through the face and the neck and the shoulders and the arms and all the way down to your feet and without any judgment or any anything you just what's there what's going on um there's another um staying on the somatic part for a minute um a friend of mine showed me uh, a trick which i did put well, not a trick but a, a tactic i did put it in the book um using a pulsometer mm -hmm. you, you put a pulsometer on your finger and um you set a timer for a minute and you tune into your heart and you try to count how many beats your heart takes in a minute. And then you compare that number with what the pulsometer says. And um, if you're the closer you are, the more connected you are to your bodily signals. I know it's a kind of a strange thing, but I've done it a few times and it's pretty interesting. I think it does, it does work. So that's on the body piece. I think also some practices, um, if you're, if you're up for it, I think yoga is a huge, hugely important one. So again, things that kind of bring breath, body, mindfulness, all back together as a regular part of our lives, um, is super important. Mm, that's really, I don't know if that answers your actual question. <laughs> ah, no, it does because it's helping us to see, as you said, that it's not just about the emotional center. It's about integrating all three head, heart, body, and that, when we are aware of our type, we need to check in with our bodies because that's going to be a huge piece of, okay, what's happening in this interoception uh, so that our bodies can inform our minds and our hearts. How am I actually physically feeling in these five senses? So I like that. And it's an unusual approach. And I think it's, as we've probably both learned from CP Enneagram, just it's something that's really left out of our culture. Yeah. So the other I think the other thing to be really mindful of is to understand which of your intelligence centers you repress. So obviously whatever center your type is in, that's what you start with. So I'm a heart type. We've been talking about that. I start with, you know, feeling you're a head type. So you start with thinking and then we have a sequence, right? There's there, we support them with either feeling whatever the other two are. And there's one that we repress. And so directing some real intentionality because part of the, bit of the deception of our Enneagram type is that we, because the strategy that we adopted as a, as a young person, which is our Enneagram type mm -hmm. worked for us and, and probably continues to still work for us in some ways, even when we're not recognizing the ways that it's not, is that it deceives us into thinking that that's enough, right? That I, you know, for me, it deceived me into thinking that I could always use heart intelligence and figure it out and get through anything I needed to get through. It told me that I don't really need the thinking and doing intelligence as much, which is completely untrue, right? Mm -hmm. So my work becomes stepping away from that untruth and focusing my energy on the thinking and the doing. Um, and each type has that same challenge from a different angle. Mm, 
That's such a good reminder. And it's following up an, an episode we just had about stances where we can really apply this from earlier this month as we work through conflicts as a couple. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's perfectly time to give people the chance to integrate that, to say, how do you use that in marriage? How do you use that in relationship? And you're saying you really have to own it, that this is going to be a lifelong something for you to be mindful of. And I like how you said people can get interested in a lot of different ways of doing that, but just starting with that center a little bit more frequently is so helpful, right? Like you said, you know, when you integrate doing and thinking, it just, it makes your experiences so much more full. Yeah. You know, like sharing your experience with that, um, you know, as a seven, starting with thinking supported by doing and, and, you know, tending to repress feelings, you know, how, how might a head type approach or a seven approach that same kind of thing? We definitely don't like feeling because our feelings are very sensitive and underdeveloped. So we come to them sort of immature and therefore very raw. So I really have to feel safe to share feelings. It's got to be extremely safe and it has to be extremely important. So it's got to be a regular practice in other words. <laughs> and so I do have daily journaling practices and you keep, keep me wandering up and down and up and down and getting a snack and doing more fitness and, you know, whatever else to get back to it. But it's a daily practice for that reason. Uh, and it has to be done because I've had enough stuff in my life to need it daily. And something else I do is, uh, many sevens, if you're listening out there and you're anything feeling, if you're at all feelings inhibited is we, anyone who struggles with feelings needs to know, which actually every type struggles in some ways with feelings because they might be feeling the feelings of others, but, um, it's very helpful to walk through sort of a system for me, like lamenting and then coming back to gratitudes and then coming back to planning and then doing. So really that involves thinking, feeling, and doing, but I'm starting with feeling because I don't want to get stuck there. And that's very important to us that we don't get stuck there because it's so hard for us. I don't know if people feel like that listening out there who are thinkers and doers, how you don't want to get stuck in that one. Yeah. No, that's, that's beautifully said. That's really helpful for me. Oh, no problem. And do you guys, you and Kristen, do you guys both share the same thinking and doing inhibition or is it a little bit backwards? So she's doing repressed. Yeah. Um, as a, as a three, I'm both feeling dominant and feeling repressed. Yeah, that's right. Right. So I start with feeling. I use my feelings to understand the aesthetics and the expectations and the vibe and the feeling of any room so that I can subtly adapt to become the best expression and, and meet the expectations in whatever room that is. That's part of the whole, mm-hmm. you know, cycle of the three, the, the sort of self-deception that that we're in fact being completely authentic in each room when in fact we're subtly adjusting just to, you know, match all that. Mm-hmm. Meanwhile, um, so I'm using feeling to assess that and achieve that, mm-hmm. but I'm pushing my own feelings down mm-hmm. and um, because they can slow me down. Right. If I start getting in touch with feelings that are at the core of the heart type, which is feelings around sadness and shame and these other things, mm-hmm. that could significantly inhibit me from from a taking action. And, and I'm prone to want to take action and achieve things. Right. Mm-hmm. So um, part of my work has been 
to let those feelings in and let myself be slowed down mm -hmm. and, mm -hmm. and let that be okay. And for my wife, so as a four, she's feeling dominant, supported by thinking, and she represses doing, mm -hmm. which usually when I talk to fours or teach a class or something, there's pretty strong objection around that idea. People don't like the idea. Usually kind of when you hit on anybody's repressed center, but I like the way you said it, it's underdeveloped mm -hmm. um, or it's not productive. It's not the most, it's not the best use of the center. So for fours, they tend to prioritize doing the things that feel really significant or unique or important. And they tend to put off feelings that don't help achieve that. So things that might feel a little mundane or routine, or that isn't going to give them a sense of significance in some ways, they will postpone that stuff. And so that, that is definitely a difference um, that I, you know, that between my wife and I, in terms of my, getting into action more quickly on things, even things I don't necessarily mm -hmm. love to do, but they just need doing and, and her, you know, maybe hesitating. But what she's helped me with significantly is taking the time to connect to the emotional piece that I want to kind of bypass and in, in order to get into action. So that's been huge, probably even more. I know you've talked about subtypes a bit on this uh, podcast as well. What's been uh, maybe even more helpful for our marriage is understanding our different sequences of the instincts. Mm. So I'm self-preservation dominant mm -hmm. and I'm followed by sexual and then I repress social mm -hmm. and she's sexual dominant uh, followed by social and she represses self-preservation. So I'm dominant in self-preservation and she's oh. repressed in self-preservation. Mm -hmm. So this has been so illuminating in terms of the things <laughs> that I need to calm down on because I'm like, concerned about, you know, I'm, you know, it's 12 in the afternoon and I'm already thinking about dinner um, <laughs> or it's, you know, we're going to go on a trip and I'm like way down, like planned out, like we have to leave the house by this time or whatnot. And she's just not there um, thinking about that stuff at all. And, and uh, it's been super, super illuminating um, as I need to, to tame my dominant mm -hmm. and kind of nurture up my social repressed and she needs to tame her dominant and nurture back her self-preservation. So she has uh, more self-care practices. Oh my gosh. That's so cool that you guys help each other with that. I know it's painful at times, but it's really cool how both in your doing and feeling and thinking and here in your instincts, you guys are really helping one another and it's scary, but it's so good because it's what makes change. And I know that's what you guys want and that's what we want, right? We want to be balanced and healthy. So let me be clear. We fail at this a lot. Hmm. You know what I mean? Like, like we have the language and the insight and I think we are on a trajectory of constantly um, getting better at um, compassionate understanding and growth and empathy. I think those things are all happening, but it's not a straight line and it's not like some place you arrive to and you finally figure it out. Right. I think part of the, the work is understanding there's going to always be this sort of rhythm of rising and falling and rising and falling in your effort to grow as a couple and grow as an individual. As long as you're patient with yourself and patient with each other and committed to the process, mm -hmm. it does come and it does continue to get stronger and better and mm -hmm. communication improves. But, but mm -hmm. I, I think it's important to point that out because I think it's easy to say, okay, I have all these, I have all this knowledge. I have you know this information but it didn't work for us. We failed. We we got better for a second. And then, it, you know, our, our marriage got, you know, too much conflict again. And I think 
I think putting aside any, you know, shame or, um, you know, uh, guilt or anything like that and focused on, you know, compassionate curiosity and commitment to this process as a couple, I think that's what we owe each other. And that's, that's super critical to the growth. Mm, I love that. Well said. And it's a great reminder if you're out there having a conflict with your spouse to really walk through that a little bit to say, you know, slowing down a second here and, or speeding up depending on where you're coming from in the Enneagram world, but, but really sitting with my spouse and looking at the world through their eyes a bit more and seeing what are they struggling with when we're in this transaction? Um, so I like how you're saying that because you're you're also going into depths in your book, not just like a lot of charts name the vices, the virtues, the defense mechanisms, and you go into depth about each. And I thought that's what my audience would love most about your book because of the depths. And uh, I was going to ask you, tell us how those defense mechanisms can also kind of get in the way because there's some specific ones that each type uses, right? Yeah, defense mechanisms are um, an important part that probably doesn't get discussed quite enough because, you know, the personality structure itself is is pretty um, well constructed, right? And Mm -hmm. the defenses we adopt is to keep everything intact so that our, you know, um, emotional insides don't start spilling all over the floor, right? Like, or you know, we're 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 in many ways, our enneotype when we're in personality is a defense structure itself. And so each type has a particular, mostly unconscious um, way that it wants to guard itself uh, to protect what it believes and attain what it covets and satiate what it most fears through these respective strategies. Um, Mm -hmm. So, you know, I won't go through explanations around each of them but so just to talk all my types super quick so ones use reaction formation um so for for ones as an example uh their vice is anger and they don't see anger as an appropriate emotion to have and so through the defense mechanism of reaction formation they attempt to turn anger into a more acceptable emotion so that's why sometimes you'll experience a one that is uh, smiling at smiling at you, but you kind of don't believe it, right? They kind of you feel the resentment, right? Yes. Um, twos use repression to repress what they actually uh, their own emotions, so they can stay focused on other people and trying to please them. Mm-hmm. Threes use identification, right? We talked about that a moment ago when I said you know the self deception is that I well self deception is two things for a three. One is that I'm being totally authentic, no matter what part of my chameleon-like personality is being represented. The other self-deception part of a three that gets missed is that I'm not an emotional type, which is completely untrue. Mm -hmm. Um, But the defense mechanism of identification is this unconscious way of identifying with the different representations we have um, to that we in, in the ways that we represent ourselves in the world, you know, to to meet expectations. Fours use interjection, which is to to, to almost adopt the, the the positive or negative emotions of other people. Um, fives isolate themselves um, as a way to stay up in their heads and avoid being overwhelmed. Sixes project; that's their defense. They project onto others what they can't um, accept in themselves. Sevens use rationalization to rationalize away any sort of uh, behaviors around gluttony or 
um, to, to reframe negatives into positives. Uh, H used de denial, that's their defense, and that's to deny these sort of softer emotions and, and all the things that would slow them down from powering up to be well defended against um, their fear of being controlled. And nines use narcotization, uh, which I'm quite familiar with as a three because that's where I can go and stress. And uh, that's a way to sort of use numbing out behaviors, right? So they conflate rest and relaxation with this, what's really a behavior to satiate and kind of lull them into this constant sleep state to not have to deal with their own anger and their own wants and their own needs. So there's a lot more that could be said on all of those, but it's really important to understand, especially when we find ourselves um, guarding ourselves, when we find ourselves getting more guarded and we find ourselves being more resistant to change or we're going through a particular time of stress or pressure, that's when these defense mechanisms are gonna most present themselves, even when you're really trying to do growth work. Yeah. Um, and as a couple, you can probably, you know, you really can start to identify when that's happening as well. Mm -hmm. um, and I think, and so I've got a whole chapter that's really mm -hmm. largely focused on surrendering and laying down our defenses that mm -hmm. until we acknowledge them and find ways to start to surrender them, they're going to keep rearing up. Yeah. yeah. Really important. And you do go into a lot more depth about each one in the book. Yeah. I think it's, I think it's a really important part of the conversation. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I do too, because we're sneaky with those and we're like, I'm not doing that. And it's like, yes, you are. And your spouse hopefully will, even if they don't want to read books with you and do Enneagram work per se with you, they may be interested if you uh, divulge because you're doing your work that you have this or that defense strategy. And if you're vulnerable and humble, sometimes they might even lean in with theirs or you can explain theirs to them. So like Scott's saying here, this could be life-changing for your marriage to start seeing the patterns. Yeah, completely. And you know, there's a whole other chapter on the fears that sit behind them as well. So much of what's going on is each type has a core fear and we're going to go into those now, mm -hmm. but uh, you talked about vulnerability. I think when we can get honest with ourselves about, some of these things that are going on within our personality structures that most that much of what we're doing is being driven out of a core fear. And I'll just talk about mine, right? I'm sure you've said this on the show many times, but the three carries around a fear that we have no real worth separate from what we achieve. Right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yep. So all the things that I can think that I'm pursuing out of my own free will and want if I'm not really connected to and understanding the core fear that's underneath it, I'll think that I'm just achieving because I have all these desires and this is what I want. Mm. But in, react in reality, a lot of times what's driving all that behavior is that I'm trying to stay away from the thing I fear most, which is that if I didn't do those things, I'd have to, I would just be. And if I, if I just exist, that's not good enough and I won't have any worth or value to anybody. Right. Mm -hmm. And each type has that. Mm -hmm. And so much of what the defense mechanisms are, are layers of protection around that. That almost ways that you don't have to confront the fear, confront mm -hmm. that message behind the fear. And so you, you mentioned vulnerability. I think mm -hmm. some of the best conversations I've had with my wife um, is when I've gotten really honest about the ways that that is alive in me and the ways that that exists in me the the stories the 
experiences I had, whether real or just something I perceived mm-hmm. that fed that narrative that I carried for so many years and so many of the things that I get caught up in all that shadow side stuff we talk about mm-hmm. is all stemming from that. And, you know, we started earlier in the show talking about these sort of practices that are common to all types, but I also mentioned getting more knowledge about your type. And I'm not just talking about academic knowledge. I'm mm-hmm. talking about knowledge of your story, right? Mm-hmm. The, the, your personal story that mm-hmm. fueled the, the, uh, the motivation behind everything that you do in your type. Mm-hmm. Wow. That's really good. And do you recommend people get therapy for that or? Yeah. Oh yeah. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I recommend, I recommend everybody get therapy. Um, yeah. A hundred percent. You know, there's, there's a lot, I mentioned a few practices, but I'm glad you brought that up because um, in, in a, in a, in a work context, if you, if you're in a, organizational setting, you know, some coaching support is also a good, uh, good avenue. But yeah, I mean, I think some of the the most powerful experiences I've had was actually EMDR therapy, Mm -hmm. um, which helped me go back through the process of EMDR and actually it kind of re-enter those stories Mm -hmm. and um, kind of reprocess them as, as the point. And um, it's not a panacea, right? It didn't just make everything, you know, better, but it's, it's been really, really, really helpful. Mm. That's neat. And you had a safe place to do that. And, I did. and you got to retell the narrative in a healthier way versus yeah. dealing with the sadness, shame. It doesn't mean we're not humans and then we don't have those moments, but instead of holding you down, you're noticing them, you're working through them. Yes. And, you know, it's, uh, to do that kind of work takes a bit of courage because it's not fun and, you know, it, it, it produces good outcomes, Mm -hmm. but you have to, you have to be willing to face some painful things. Mm -hmm. But I think I I write about this a bit in the book as well. Um, suffering is going to happen one way or the other. Um, you're either going to suffer in at the hands of the vice of your type, right? You're going to like in the, in the passion and the grip of the passion of your Enneagram type that will cause you suffering in life. Mm -hmm. Or you have to be willing to do a different kind of suffering, which is to face the painful stories and narratives that, um, that told you, you had to, to, to over-identify with this particular Enneagram type and, and in the process lost much of, of the, of the broader parts of who you were before life told you who you needed to become. Mm, wow. So I, I, I think there's a, there's a, yeah, find a qualified therapist to help you with this work. Somebody you really can trust mm. qualify, you know, friends that are on the journey to finding people who are trying to walk the growth path and become more aware is super, super important being in community mm-hmm. um, places where you feel really safe that you can, you know, talk with people. I, I'm, I'm in a, in a group, um, a little Enneagram kind of mastermind group. And we, uh, we meet about monthly and we just sort of check in on everybody's lives and kind of what we're up to. And that's created a real good space for people who are both trying to use the Enneagram to help other people, but also on the path themselves. And mm-hmm. it's led to some really brilliant, honest conversations that have been really helpful to me where I've been able to say, you know, guys, 
there's moments where I wish I hadn't started this work at all because, mm-hmm. you know, I'm having a day where I'm really in touch with sadness right now and I don't want to be. It was kind of blissfully ignorant before. <laughs> and, uh, you know, and but then, you know, they, they can kind of laugh with me and 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 relate to that from their own type perspective. And, um, mm-hmm. and then it helps me get, you know, keep going. Mm, yes. And thank you for using your three gift of honesty to talk about what it's like when we want to take back the work. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> I was just thinking about that this week. Yeah. And I think that's a really important lesson for people to hear. <laughs> you know, yeah. you got to understand this isn't always fun, oh. but it is worthy. It is mm. healthy. It's just yes. hard. <laughs> Yes. Yes. Oh, those are good reminders to have friends and to have safe places and uh, to have accompanying texts and spaces where you can learn like your book. So I would love for you to tell our listeners where they can find your book and all of that. Thank you for that. Uh, Amazon or your favorite online uh, bookstore. Uh, my wife was most impressed that target.com has it. I think she thought I finally like made it in the world. She's like, target is selling your book. That's amazing. Um, I'm also told that um, it's going to be in over 50 airports around the, the U S. So if you're in an airport and you're bored, you need something to read on the plane, pop in and see if you can find the Enneagram of emotional intelligence. Oh my goodness. How exciting. I'm so glad to hear that. This is one of those books where you open it and you say, oh, this is a book we needed. And that thank you for putting such time and work into it. We know you did. And thank you to Kristen for being part of that journey, encouraging you in it. And then people want to get in touch with you else. Wow. What would you say would be the best spaces outside of the book? scottellander.com is my website and you can also find me on instagram i've got a enneagram page called eq enneagram Uh, i'm on linkedin and twitter as well at scott allender and i think that's the majority of the places okay perfect well we will find you at airports and instagram and all (laughs) over the place amazon thank you so much this has been such a gift to all of us so i really appreciate you coming on Krista, I I can't tell you how delighted I was to be on. Thank you for having me. And thank you for the work you're doing in the world too. I really appreciate it. Thank you. Oh, I'm just so glad we had that chance to talk with Scott. What a good way to journey into our week or farther into our week, depending on when you're listening. And I hope that today you can grab that one thing that you know was for you from the episode. We have Scott's book for you. We have his podcast info, his website in the the show notes. And we're just so grateful for you. I'm so proud of you for journeying with me. I can't tell you how much it means to me to know you're on the journey too. And you know our Enneagram and Marriage Collective is also open if you just need extra encouragement time on zooms with us we love meeting our people so anyway i'll talk to you soon bye guys thank you again for listening with us it was so wonderful to have you i love knowing we're doing this journey together not perfectly but with love grace and hopefully some fun too if you love today's episode make sure you leave us a five-star review at apple podcast or spotify so others can find it too visit our show notes so you can get all the links from today's show as well as enneagramandmarriage.com the instagram the Facebook, and all over the place. Make sure you spread the word. Love living intentionally with you. Bye-bye.